Aloha, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Moana Nui podcast for our 8.30 p.m. special episode tonight on this Monday evening. We'd like to thank each of you for joining in. For those that are tuning in to the Moana Nui podcast for the first time, I am Dana, the other half of the Moana Nui podcast. Outside of being the co-host, I'm also a photographer, event planner, voice actor, and a whole lot more. My other half of the show, who's not able to join us, she is a the founder of the show, Moana McAdams, but she's also a children's book author. And of course, this show is an advocate for the indigenous culture, but also the BIPOC community to give them a safe place, to give them a voice in the, especially within the social media platforms that are out there. We also want to bring to everybody's attention, you'll see in the lower right-hand corner of your screen, a QR code. This is to help my, the people in Maui that was affected by the fires. This, the money that you are donating through this QR code is a local organization that is boots on the ground in my, in Maui, helping out the locals as we speak. So we would like to connect anybody who's watching this show to organizations that are local, that are boots on the ground, that have been helping since day one for the people of Maui. So definitely make sure you scan the QR code if you're interested in helping or share it with a friend or loved one so they can definitely help out because this is not just a short-term goal, but the people of Maui is going to need donations for years to come to get themselves back on the ground and have them back into their homes like they should be. So once now I'm going to go ahead and introduce our lovely co-host. She is another part of the Moana Nui podcast. She is going to be moderating our panel for tonight. She is known in the cosplay world with her multi-talents of directing photo shoots. She does cosplay, but in her full-time job, she is advocating and helping those during emergency response situations, uh, especially with infectious diseases. So let me welcome our lovely co-hosts, our Ohana um, Latoya Simmons. Welcome, Latoya. Oh, thank you for the welcome. Well, I am going to go ahead and hand it over to you so you can introduce our lovely panelists uh, for our panel for tonight. So, Latoya, I'm going to hand it over to you. Okay. Thank you so much. So welcome, everyone. Once again, thank you so much for joining. We're excited to have you here. Just to make sure we're on the same page, I'm going to give you a little bit of background about today's topic, which is really stories and storytelling. So mo'alelo, or stories, are central to Native American, sorry, Native Hawaiian culture and identity, and it connects Hawaiians with their genealogy, with their community, with the land, and with the natural and spiritual world, drawing upon ancestral knowledge and culture and the history of the culture itself and of the islands themselves. Moana Nui Podcast and myself invited three very talented storytellers and cultural practitioners to share their personal mo'olelo, their personal stories of how they became storytellers and why it's important to keep our indigenous stories alive. 
So with that being said, I'd like to welcome our three panelists to the screen. Aloha, Aloha. everyone. Aloha. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. And so very quickly, we'll just go around the screen. I'll um, call out your names, and then you can tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe one or two really interesting facts about how you got into storytelling and who you are. We want to know who you are. So first, I'll start with Kahu. Hi, I'm Kahu Dave. Uh, my real name is uh, David Wallace, and I'm from the island of Molokai. And I'm a retired educator, a high school teacher. And my journey into storytelling was entertaining my grandbabies <laughs> and my children. <laughs> and I used to I'll be amazed at some of the things that I heard growing up. So it's just passing on stories that are heard that my grandparents and parents used to talk about and sharing with my kids. So that's where I got started. <laughs> awesome. And Lopaka, you're next. Oh, aloha, Lopaka Kapanui. I guess I began my journey in storytelling as a kid in karate class. My instructor's name, believe it or not, was Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, very serious. Turns out he was a consultant on Karate Kid. Wow. So the short story is he was the, the sensei that would whack me on the head or about the body with a kendo stick. Because he said, when I should be learning karate, I'm, I'm spending too much time uh, talking story. <laughs> so that's how it started. <laughs> that's a pretty awesome origin story. Bucky. <laughs> well, um, for me, storytelling is just kind of innate. I'm, I'm part Portuguese. So like that in of itself, right? I mean. It's a natural part of who we are. I mean, if anybody has come from Hawaii, you know, the Portuguese, that's all they do, tell stories. And sorry to say this, but a lot of the stories is really just kind of fabricated and themes. So there's just a lot of laughter and stuff like that. So my dad, he's Portuguese. My, my grandma, she is full Portuguese. So it just, it just kind of happens. But then now coming from the native Hawaiian side, both my parents are both native Hawaiian, but you hear some of the stories and some of the stuff that we should be talking about today. Like it just, it translates, right? Because nice. telling story is not just telling the story, right? I mean, mm -hmm. anybody can tell you the story. Anybody can read a book, but in mm -hmm. order to be able to tell the story, like that's where entertainment comes in. It yes. allows people to stay embraced into the moment and everything. So for me, I feel like it's just, it's just in the DNA. I got the Hawaiian side that got the stories and I got the Portuguese side that can tell the stories. So I, I kind of lucked out. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's in your DNA. I think all of us, it's in our DNA. We can't help it. <laughs> we got to tell stories. Well, thank you so much for those introductions. You all are amazing in your personal lives and professional lives as well. So really quickly, we'll go back around the screen again and kind of tell us who you are, a little bit about you. We now know your background, how you got into storytelling, but who are you today in your present? Kahu, I'm going to start again with you. Well, as I put down on my, on my list right there, I'm an author, but I'm also a psychic. I was born in skills that people tried to hide things from me. I, they couldn't I could see things, give a second sight prophetic dreams and things like that. And as an adult, 
I learned how to read old views so that I can take this natural ability and add discipline to it. So I use a lot of my abilities to kind of like travel through time, play around with different things and ideas. And, and if I'm interested in looking at something anywhere around the world, I have that capabilities. So I, I use this skill in many applications. In fact, if you watch some of my YouTube channels, I make predictions on games. Oh, <laughs> very interesting. Very interesting. And I love how that actually, <laughs> I love how that can tie in your, your storytelling capabilities. Even that right there is a story. That's awesome. Thank you, Kahu. Lapakas, not you. I, I can vouch for. For Kahu Dave, because I don't know if he remembers, but he re he remote viewed one of my tours that we did oh. at the the archives building on the grounds of the the palace. And as far as his psychic abilities, he told me one time he said, "Stop eating junk food." <laughs> <laughs> wow, was he was he correct? Was he correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. So tell us about who you are in your present. I see, I, I love that there's this connection between you and Kahu as well, but tell us more about you. Like, who are you today? We learned about your Mr. Miyagi as a child and how you got start, started in storytelling, but who are you today? What are you up to these days? Where to begin? That, that's answering the question. <laughs> I'm a grandfather. My wife and I together manage this business we have, Mysteries Hawaii. And as far as storytelling, during the time when I was learning things from my mom, she talked about something called uh, noho. And loosely translated, one of the meanings of noho is, is possession, but not in the Western sense. It's possession where your almakua or your kupuna, their spirits come and sit on you and communicate to your family through you. Wow. And so you take on all those characteristics, all those little mannerisms. And I remember her telling me it. She said, at some future point, Nova will become what you do. I had no idea what she was talking yeah. about. And so in many instances, when I'm in the capacity of telling stories, that's novel. It's channeling the, the soulish spirit of the story through myself to the audience. Wow. And there's been times when we do what we call ghost storytelling concerts, and I don't remember most of it. Wow. I remember getting on the stage, doing the introduction and like, what also happens, and I'll make this brief, is uh, in the audience, people's deceased relatives are there. And in the past, people in the audience, their deceased relatives have come on stage and tried to hijack the whole thing. Oh, you know, I'm trying to tell a story and I'm ignoring them, but they're like <laughs> right there. It's, like, it's my sister right there. Ask her where the paycheck went for the house. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's an incredible like that. experience. Yeah. So definitely, not only do we have writers here on this panel, but also spiritualists, those who are in touch with not only their own spirits, but those who have passed on and our answers are kupuna. That's Dang. incredible. Wait until you ask Paki what's going on. Uh-oh. <laughs> Paki? You're right. Thanks. Uh-oh. <laughs> Tell us what you're up to these days. What are you up to I'm, now? I'm still, I'm still a baby compared to the experience that these gentlemen have. So I... I'm, I'm, I'm a business guy. Like that's, that's, that's who I am. I, I sit in the renewable energy and sustainability world and I help build companies. Right. So 
So that's really what I, what I do. I moved into, and, and just for full transparency, my name is AJ Perkins. My real name is Albert John Kaumwana Perkins, the fourth. And, oh, and being, I've, I've been in Cali Southern California for about seven years and because here, because I'm here, that's, that's who I'm known as AJ Perkins. And I've just been doing work. I've just been focused head down. I'm, I'm the father of three children. My wife and I, we have a blended family of five children, ages 14 through 27. And, oh, wow. um, yeah. You're so busy. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. How, <laughs> how this Hawaiian nest, I'll call it, came back out. I'm a graduate of Kamehameha schools. I'm the three boys and all three of us went to Kamehameha. Okay. That really doesn't mean anything except we were around more Kolohe kids. Like, so, so we yeah. were a part of that. And then what happened is me being away for so long, me not raising my children in Hawaii, I felt this obligation to make sure that I taught my children their culture. They, they come from a very rich culture and they weren't being able to experience it in the way that I did. So that's where this idea of storytelling came in because I'm like, I got to teach you at least the three most important words in the Hawaiian language, mahalo, gratitude, aloha, love, ohana, family. And we did Yay. that through story. And I taught them this at a very young age. And then as mm -hmm. we started to get older, they're like, dad, we got to tell the story. We got to tell the story. And that's how this came to life. So for me, business is where it's been and it's completely transformed because of my culture being able to influence who I am as a person. And being able to pass that down to your children as well. That's Awesome. Yeah. Okay, this is what you have to look forward to when you get to our age, uh, live podcast with a shoji screen background. <laughs> I, that's why, like I said, one day I want to be like you when I grow up. I, I need to have that. <laughs> well, moving on to the next question. This one is for La Paca, but Paki and Kahua, please feel free to answer as well. It's just, we're family here. So it's a, it's a conversation really to teach others in the audience about Hawaiian culture from the perspective of writing and storytelling as well. But Lopaka, so what role do you see Native Hawaiian literature playing in preserving and promoting the Hawaiian language, the oral traditions, and the stories like the ones that you tell? Enlightenment and yeah. awareness. There's, there's so much the world doesn't know about who we are in, in Hawaii, aside from what they're being fed through social media and certain types of films. So a lot of it is enlightenment. And for a lot of people who are from the continent, who are not from here, who are spiritually receptive, they come to Hawaii and for them, it's like a, a life-changing experience. People have come in and have told me, I've, I've never been treated so nicely. And I've never been in a place where, you know, being LGBTQ or, or what have you, it's like, it's no big deal. Like nobody's giving me a hassle about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a, a couple like that the other night on, on our downtown tour. And I, and I jokingly said, I said, we're in, we here in Hawaii, when we're looking at uh, stuff like Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ, interracial marriage, we're like, what, what? Nobody cares here. As, as long as you come with the right attitude, you're cool. What's fine. You're accepted. And I, I, I warned these people. I said, don't stay here too long and integrate yourselves 
into our culture because you're going to end up being taken home by one of us and we're going to feed you. <laughs> Next year, you're going to be part of our family. You'll be invited to the wedding. <laughs> right. right. And so I think the, the core of, of what Aloha is for those who are receptive to it is, is what people need to, to know about, to read about. So books, if I pan the camera this way, my wife will kill me, but you'll see that we have stacks and stacks of books. Wow. And the reason why books are important to, to my wife and I is because it's, it's visceral. Mm-hmm. So if Kahu Dave, I buy one of his books, the first thing I do when I open it is I go, I'm trying to get his, his mana, his essence, and then mm-hmm. I want to feel it as I'm reading it. So I not only can read Kahu's stories, but I can immerse myself in those more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I understand where he's coming from. And like Paki's book too. So it's very important, very educational. Yeah. And it's probably going a bit too far and I'll finish with saying in the early nineties, I met some spiritual leaders and they said a lot of things. One thing they, that grabbed me that they said is we believe that when world peace happens, the core of it, they said, will start in Hawaii and then oh, radiate outward. Oh, wow. And they weren't from here, but they said there's something about, about Hawaii that cannot be found anywhere else in the world. So if world peace begins, it begins here. Mm-hmm. I have to agree with that. I've only been able to visit Hawaii one time, just the, the main island of Hawaii, but I have to say the experience was profound for me on a very spiritual level. Just the energy, the vibe, the air was, there was something different, right? Than where I normally live at in the DMV area or in Atlanta. So it is so much peace and so much genuine love, not love that you have to fight for or scrape for, but genuine love that just permeated the area. So I agree with you. I, I've never heard anyone say that before about peace beginning in, in Hawaii, but or in the islands, but I have to say I agree with that. Even George Clooney, when he was here filming this movie, Descendants, I think it was on Entertainment Tonight, they asked him, how's the filming? How do you like it? And he said, it's mm-hmm. sort of disconcerting because... I'm used to all this paparazzi. And he said, we had a break. I jumped in a rent-a-car, went to, to a McDonald's. And he said, he knew that everybody in a McDonald's knew it was him. But nobody bothered him. Oh, wow. He gave him his, he's, he's like, that's, he said, I, I couldn't get used to that. It's a different level of respect too. Because yeah. most people are just so like, me, me, me. I want a picture. I want an autograph. I want to get some social media content. But then I'll care like that this person is actually a real person to respect their space and let them eat, right? Let them live yeah. just for a minute. Yeah. That's and actually- and Kahu will agree with me when I say this, but mm-hmm. what's missing from this podcast mm-hmm. is barbecue and and I <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Oh, oh, he came prepared. He came prepared. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for your that answer, Love Pocket. It, it actually drives my mind into a, a different role, a related direction that I kind of want to ask Pocky about this in terms of Native Hawaiian culture and storytelling and your children that you brought up, actually having them write a children's book, right? It, right. before, before I move, before I move there, can I, oh, sure, can sure, I tag sure. on to what Lopatu oh, was absolutely. saying, you know, sure. uh, what, one of the things that was taught by one of, by Auntie Pilahi Paki, she actually, she actually said in the 21st century, the world will search for peace and they will look to Hawaii 
because Hawaii has the key and that key wow. is Aloha. That is a quote that is echoed around the world. And that is a quote that will always go. I mean, in Hawaii, we actually believe it or not, we actually mm -hmm. have an Aloha spirit law. It is law. It is wow. who we are so much so that the state of Hawaii has the Aloha spirit law and that, that can go on. And then when you, when you talk about story and things like that, the reality is as a native Hawaiian, we know we have an oral culture. We did not have a written language. Yep. It wasn't until the missionaries came to the islands that they said, if you want to be a civilized culture, you need to have a written language. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Because I can tell you my genealogy mm -hmm. all the way back to Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. If you have the willingness to sit through my chant, mm -hmm. what many of us know as the Kumulipo, if you as a native Hawaiian can connect your generations, eight generations up to the Kumulipo, you now literally have the oral history of our entire genealogy back to Adam and Eve. What mm -hmm. other culture can actually do that? It's all oral. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So the, this art of storytelling is innate in who we are in our DNA, right? So, and I appreciate the question as far as how does this translate to the, to our keiki? Because, mm -hmm. so I, I moved to the mainland and, and I came up and to live in California and my children were being raised outside of the, outside of Hawaii. And mm -hmm. I felt bad. Their mom is native Hawaiian and both of our families have a rich, rich tradition in Hawaii, our ancestors go all the way back on both sides. And my children don't know, right? They, they're being raised outside of Hawaii. So I made sure that it was my responsibility to teach them. And I, I said, okay, I got to teach them the three greatest Hawaiian words, aloha, love, mahalo, gratitude, ohana, family. And the best way to teach children is through story. So we started talking about what aloha means and this and that, but it was one thing to tell our kids aloha means this and Hawaii, mahalo means this, all these things, but it really started to hit home when it comes into this story. So this is a story that I told my children a long time ago. And then mm -hmm. as they started to get older, they're like, dad, we should just, how come we don't have the book? We should write the book. Dad, you should write the book. And I'm like, why don't you do it? Why don't you no, do it? No, so no. my children were 12, 14, <laughs> and 16. I said, why don't you guys go ahead and let's, so we wrote the book. And at the time, my children were artists and they, they, they're creatives as well. So I, I wanted them to draw it, but they're too busy with school and everything. So we had a friend of ours do the illustrations. But then I said, here's some money. We started a company just for them, a book publishing company, just for the kids. Not, not daddy, daddy's business. But I'm going to use this as a way to teach you guys. So here's your budget. Here's what you got. Now you need to take this money, figure out how to publish this book, how to market this book, how to distribute this book. This is it. So your three names are going to be on this corporation. And you guys, they have an LLC and they had to figure out how to do all of this. Got it up on Amazon, got it marketed. They, you know, um, we're fortunate. We've got a forward by somebody that's huge in the literary world as far as being part of the secret. Um, we've Tell got us about that. Tell us who that is. <laughs> so, um, so for anybody that knows about the law of attraction, um, a while ago, they came out with The Secret, which is mm -hmm. a new twist on the law of attraction, thinking, grow rich, the Bible, asking, you shall receive type stuff, right? So it's, it's old thinking that's just repackaged into The Secret. 
The Secret sold a billion dollars worth of everything, books, movies, and whatnot. And Lee Brower from The Secret, who talks about the gratitude rock, he has this rock that he puts it in his pocket to remind him every time he touches the rock, it reminds him to be grateful. Mm -hmm. So Lee Brower came to Hawaii and I spoke on stage with Lee to talk about The Secret and gratitude. And Lee actually got to understand Mahalo Hanna. Mahalo, uh, aloha, yeah. ohana. And he was deeply entrenched. I mean, literally, brother came to my family reunion on Kauai. You know what I mean? Like, oh, brother yeah. was there with all us brown people. You know what I mean? And he was able. So because of this, he comes and he's like, I'd love to contribute a portion to your book. And that's where my children were like, uncle, please, can you do this? And they've, the kids, oh, you know, we've won probably almost a dozen awards. Care. Like we got all these awards and everything. And I was like, this is okay, baby. We're still poor. You know what I mean? We descend from <laughs> kids, <laughs> but we're still poor. It's okay. The rich are serious. The rich are serious. That's it. But the kids, the kids love it. And we got two more books coming out within the series and everything. So oh. it's, they're excited. Yeah. Cause the awesome. Mahalo book came out. Mahalo does not mean trash, but then we also have the second book on Aloha, which is love. And then the third book on Ohana. So all of the, the books are all written. We just need to keep moving it along. So they're in that wow. process. Paki, that's incredible. So what, what I'm hearing you say is not only are you keeping stories alive and through your children, but you're teaching children, your children's skills. You said at the beginning, you're kind of a business guy. And I'm like, I hear it all through there and I see it all through there. You're teaching your children how to own a business, how to market, all these different skills that they could learn before they're adults. And if they'd like to go into business or any other yeah. form of work, they have these talents already. And not yeah. only are they exercising this talent through their publishing company that you help them start, but also they're getting feedback that's positive, right? Through sales, through numerous awards. Right. So they can see how all of this gratitude and walking in purpose and, and, and listening to your parents and having, having your ancestors kind of be channeled through these ideas is, is so powerful and so impactful. Not only, it's a ripple effect, right? Not only directly through you, from you and your wife to your, your kids, but also through the community, right? In the community at large. That's incredible. So shout out to you for great parenting, you and your wife. <laughs> That's not all the I parents. Stand, stand on the shoulders of giants. Stand on That's the shoulders right. of giants. It's definitely That's not right. It's definitely not right. us. Right. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And that being taught, you, you, made, you made the point that I love. You, was like, you said the best way to te teach children is through story, right? It's absolutely true. Stories, dance, visuals, music, right? So Kahu, Kahu Dave. I want to talk to you a little bit more. I remember I, there was a connection there. I remember at the very beginning, you mentioned that a lot of the stories that, that you tell now or that you told were from when you were little, right? So can yes. you tell us about some of the stories that you maybe were some of your favorites growing up or some of the ones that, that you find are crowd favorites that actually are sort of weaving in that traditional Hawaiian cultural element into sort of this contemporary time that we're living in. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. In fact, the whole new series that I have on Tindalilla, the Hawaiian shapeshifter, is actually based on a tradition within my family, my grandmother's family, that we have a story where our ancestor is actually a kupua. Mm. And a kupua is a 
kind of like a shapeshifter that came from Tahiti. And uh, he left Tahiti and uh, carrying his sisters on his back. And he swam as an eel. Okay. So when he jumped inside the water, he turned into an eel and he swam all the way here to Hawaii. And when he came to Hawaii, the people that he met were at peace. This was before he had the war. In fact, according to the Molelo Pasan is that the, the people didn't even have weapons. Uh, so they didn't know what war was, but there was a lot of food. And so this was a really rich place. So because this ancestor saved the family line, in fact, him and his two sisters were the only two that survived this Puhi. And we know his name, but it's sacred to our family. This Puhi became our family Aumakua. Wow. And so this is the background for, and the reason for me writing the story about shapeshifters, because that's only one side of the family, the Pugi. On the other side, and so far, we have the tiger shark, which is an Almaco, a specific tiger shark. And so that's what I'm writing this story about. In fact, I'm weaving some of the Mo'olelo that was passed on to me into the story, the background and the history and some of the things that they do. So that's how I am currently uniting. And the setting for the story occurs in modern times. So like if the Kupua traditions and Aumaku traditions and shape-shifting actually made it to modern times. So oh, wow. that, that's what I'm writing about. That's incredible. Okay. Kang Dave, listen, I'm a visual person. Maybe some of our viewers are also visual as well, but as you're telling this story, I'm getting visuals in my mind and I could see a movie. I could see a mini series. <laughs> that could be incredible. Yeah. It, um, so far it's been uh, pretty good, but we're on, I think our 12th episode episode. Oh, wow. Okay. So not all of them are published yet. I have to have it edited before I release it. Sure. So, yeah. so these episodes, are they on YouTube live or do we, do we have to wait for them? They're on, they're on Kindle Vela. Oh, Kindle Okay. Kindle Vela. And it's only, a, it's only available in the U.S. market. Okay. Yeah. And as an author, you need to make a decision, especially a native Hawaiian person. And when you're writing about native Hawaiian things, if you write and include throwing a lot of Hawaiian in there, number one is if you're going to alienate a white audience. And so for, for me, my aim is a greater audience than just native Hawaiians. So I kind of have to walk a, a line there. To say, okay, throw in enough Hawaiian culture stuff, but also to balance it with what non-Hawaiians would understand. It's interesting that you bring that up, Kahu, because my next question actually had something to do with that. I wanted to ask the three of you sort of what challenges you face when representing Hawaiian culture in, in your work, whether it be through storytelling or through actual writing or Kindle novellas. 
and Kahu, Dave, you just you you spoke on that a little bit, but can you elaborate a little bit more? And then Lopaka and Paki sort of share your experiences as well. What when you're trying to produce something that accurately or um, honorably represents Hawaiian culture, and then there's cultural sensitivity around that. In addition to another layer of well, you may have a predominantly white audience, and how do you? How do you make sure that your work is still honoring the culture, but is something that they may be interested in and want to read? How do you sort of tackle that, Kahude? Just choose my words carefully. Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think choose my words carefully <laughs> because if I you know, whitewash too many things and stuff, I'm, I'm going to get a bunch of my cousins coming at my house and dragging me out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just choosing your words carefully. Like uh, sometimes I'll make a reference to a chant that I will use, but I use only a, a beginning. So those in the know will know, <laughs> but uh, those in the know will know what I'm talking about. Those of that don't know, they'll read it over and say, oh, okay, that's, that's all he said. And you just gotta be, it's kind of like, bouncing around something <laughs> so i'm hearing that you're creative about it right you're still honoring the culture so there's no part of your storytelling where you dishonor the culture you still honor it right but yeah, you do so with a creative approach and i try and use words english words that can describe what i'm trying to connect mm-hmm. so being really creative with 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 your descriptors as well yes yes Awesome. Lapaka, how about you? <laughs> Pretty much the same thing. The stories I write, I have to be sure mm-hmm. that the information is correct from cooking something to police work, forensic work, mm-hmm. the history of a building. All of these things have to be considered because I know for a fact, if I get it wrong or don't include it, I will receive an email or a call. Bro, sure. what is that? What you doing? <laughs> mm-hmm. no, that's not the way it happened. Yeah. And and in some, some capacity, uh, when I write a story that I feel is, is the correct information, um, for instance, writing a story about a curse and mm-hmm. how a particular Hawaiian curse is done and the ingredients and the prayers that go with it, mm-hmm. you know, someone will email me and said, who gave you permission to tell that story? Oh, wow. Yeah. How do you deal with those though? Those who email you or call you or text you and they're just like, you don't have permission or I don't like the way you told that story or how do you, how do you handle that? I, I tell them if the story was not meant to be told, not meant to be printed and I did it anyway, you and I would not be having this conversation. Mm. Period. drop. <laughs> my mom will come and the small hairs over here, like, mm-hmm. yeah, her spirit will grab it and yank it like this or mm-hmm. flick your ear. <laughs> that's a good one or wake up with bruises <laughs> right yeah so, you're you're your people your kukuna tell you you're screwing mm-hmm. up or you're not and it's not in a nice supportive montessori kind of way it's very physical <laughs> oh wow okay so they make yeah. it clear what needs to be told or what doesn't need to be told but i, I feel like there's a part of you that has to or a part of not just you but any of us or any of those listening mm-hmm. that has to be sort of in tune with that right well and- i'll give you an example a short example there's a story where on Kauai, mm-hmm. there's this tour guide driver 
who doesn't have the, the PUC, the insurance, and it's on the island of Kauai. And he charges people like a hundred bucks each to take you to places on Kauai that are otherwise inaccessible. And when the locals find out, they beat him up, but there's one local guy who befriends him, befriends him and says, look, this is why you're getting beat up. You got to stop doing this. And he goes, it's the only way I can make money. And I've got child support payments. And so in the story, the Hawaiian guy tells us this Holly guy, it's like, what town are you from? And the guy says the town he's from in California. And the Hawaiian guy goes, isn't that where they shot that movie, American Graffiti? Yeah. He goes, why don't you go do a tour over there? <laughs> you know, just getting beat up over here. Short story is, it seems like the, the guy who's paid attention is going to respect the culture. And the Hawaiian guy gets this call from his friends who are like, dude, you got to get over here now. So it's this place on Kauai that's shut off. It's closed off. It's called Kipu Falls. Mm-hmm. And so Hawaiian guy gets there to the falls and there's all the people on the tour. They're yelling and screaming. They're standing at the edge, looking down into the falls and the pond. And there's a little Hawaii boy about six years old and holding him is a mo'oahine. So she's the mo'oahine of the falls and the tourists are yelling and screaming. They're throwing stuff at her and she's just out of reach. Like nothing can hit her, but she's looking straight at this little boy's mom. And looks her in the eye and with the long nail goes like this and cuts this thing across the little boy's chest. And it's very descriptive of what the boy's wearing and his face is red and voice is almost hoarse from, from screaming. And as they're all vilifying her, throwing stuff at her, swearing at her, the Mu'olahine just holding on to the little holly boy slowly sinks into the pond. Hmm. And I got calls. You can't do that. You can't kill a little boy. It's like, I didn't do it. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. But for me, that's an example of things you have to respect and you mm-hmm. can't do things like that for money because this is the result. Right. It's, it's a, it's a bit extreme, but right. for me, that's, that's my stance. That's my way of saying the reason why places are closed off, why there's mm-hmm. signs that couple don't enter for some reason, certain people from the continent and around the world feel, well, I'm from the States and this is Hawaii. It's a third world country. So that doesn't mm-hmm. apply to me. I'm going to go into the, the temple of human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Going to jump into Queen's bath and maybe not drown. Kind of like a colonizer's mentality. I want to, if, even if there's a sign that says, no, I still want to explore it. Yeah. Well, the, the Holly guy, the tour driver, the Hawaiian guy's like screaming, what the hell are you doing? He's like, you and people on his tour bus are, they're not beating him up and he says, well, I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't, I, I really wasn't, but these people approach me and they're from Texas and they're rich mm-hmm. and they paid me, they paid me in cash, 300 bucks each. There's no way I could uh, turn it down. And yeah, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. All for money, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's based on actual things that do happen. Uh, there's mm-hmm. some people in the industry who are a bit nefarious and business mm-hmm. from this continent will say, Hey. We know, according to the brochure, we're not going to go there. But listen, we kind of found out your kid is having trouble with the uh, tuition payment. So let us help you out. Just mm-hmm. do this and we'll help you out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Lopaka. Paki, I saw you unmuted your mic and I wanted to give you some time to, to add in as well. What are some of the challenges that you faced or maybe that your children even face when trying to honor Hawaiian culture, but still uh, pushing out their book? I, I, I guess a lot of it is your mm-hmm. target market, right? I mean, from a business mm-hmm. perspective, 
business always has to look at who's your target, right? And honestly, mm-hmm. I wasn't targeting Hawaiians. Hawaiians don't need to well, learn what mahalo, aloha, and ohana means. We don't need to know. We don't need to know that stuff. That's... My target market was the visitor market, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally sat there and asked my kids, what are we doing this for? Are we doing this to make money? If we are, daddy knows how to make money. And they said, no, dad, we got to teach people about our culture. We got to teach people about these values. And I'm like, so it's not about money. It's about distribution. It's about making sure that more people can learn these stories. So then mm-hmm. why don't we give the book away? Well, because there's no value that. How can we help? Right? So you start understanding all this stuff. Now, as it relates to your question about how does this balance come in, it really mm-hmm. comes in because for us, we have to look at it saying, how do we properly teach mm-hmm. the Hawaiian values? Mm-hmm. Right? Because I could, we could have easily sat there and said, mahalo means thank you. And these are all the gratitude things and talk about this. And right. I mean, we, we, we could have taught the, what the literal translation of mahalo means, right? The whole pukaku, right? But then we also could, but what we did was we went a little deeper into the kauna, the symbolic side of it. And then we went even a little deeper than that, which is the noahuna, which is the spiritual essence of it. Yes. So within, within almost all of our Hawaiian language, we've got three meanings to every syllable that's uttered, right? So Mm -hmm. we had to look at this and say, it's more than teaching about mahalo means gratitude. But who tells the story best? And that's why in in this story, we actually use pupu. Why? Because first of all, pupu Um, was the one who taught my keiki this, right? Grandma was the one who taught my grandchildren this. So in the story, that's the one who's passing down. Dad is telling you mahalo means thank you. Because dad is holy, right? But then mm-hmm. Pupu is telling you, mahalo means I'm honored to be in the presence of your divine breath, mm-hmm. right? That's the, that's yeah. the kauna. That's the whole pukaku. So at the end of the day, we're, my, my children's goal, honestly, is come out with all three books, mahalo, aloha, and ohana, mm-hmm. and put them on Hawaiian Airlines. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's mm-hmm. it. Amazon is cool. But yeah, we're making money. We sell it on Amazon. But yeah. for them, they're sitting there saying, this book needs to be on every flight that comes in and out of Hawaii. Because mm-hmm. every grandma that comes to visit Hawaii, when they leave, they should go to the ABC store and buy 50 books for all the grandchildren <laughs> and cousins and everything. Because that's... <laughs> right? So Hawaiian Airlines should... So, and the other part of it, too, is the reality is if we put these types of books, like these, this book that the children are writing, Right. If we put this book on Mahalo Aloha and Oana, we create a better visitor. Mm. Can you imagine what these visitors wow. will be like when they come into Hawaii and they actually say Aloha, right? They're not going to the shows and saying Aloha, right? Mm-hmm. They're actually coming in saying, when they hear a Hawaiian tell you Mahalo, they know there's a connection. There's yeah. a connection. When a Hawaiian tells you Mahalo, there's this connection. You and I are now connected. If you mm-hmm. cannot accept that connection, if you cannot accept that commitment, then just say thanks. That's simple. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. that, that's the whole balance. And for us, our target market truly is the visitor. But no. educating the visitor on the beautiful language that we have. Wow. That's incredible. Oh, go ahead. Is someone saying something? Okay. That's incredible, Paki. Thank you so much for that for that perspective and for talking about the target audience not being Native Hawaiian. They already know. 
but teaching those who are coming in so that you could maybe make a difference in the visitor types, right? Or, or not the visitor, not, not just the visitor type, but in the mindset and how they treat the land while they're there, how they treat each other, how they treat the people, especially the natives. That's incredible and it has a huge ripple effect. So uh, kudos to you for that mindset and for that perspective. Wow. That's incredible. Let's see, Lapaka, I have one more question for you. I know that you mentioned that you and your wife have a business and I want to hear a little bit more about this business and how specific Hawaiian places or landmarks have found uh, their way into your storytelling. Yeah. So the business is called Mysteries of Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Originally it was called Chicken Skin and it was started by my late boss and mentor, Glenn Grant, who started the first ghost tour here in 1974. Mm -hmm. And so when it fell into my lap, of course, a lot of Hawaii was integrated. And so <clears throat> since COVID, the places we, we can go to are now limited because everything is closed down. But before that, the places we would go to, like the Pohukaina Mound on the grounds of the Iolani Palace, where the Hawaiian royalty were buried until they were moved, I think, in 1865. Places like uh, Kaneilio Point in Waianae at Pokai Bay, Kuiliolua Heiau, in an old, old navigational Heiau. And places like that naturally are approached with uh, a lot of reverence. The reason I, I don't bring hookup or, or offerings to particular kinds of heiau is, as my, my mom told me, because so many things were lost, when you go to a heiau, the best thing to bring is a lei and then offer a, an ole a chant. She said, because some things were lost, she said her personal belief was that you shouldn't bring food offerings because you don't know what's there. And she said, and what if you go back the next time and you don't have a food offering, but whatever's there might decide to take you as the offering. <laughs> <clears throat> And so even like the, uh, the post office in downtown Honolulu across the street from Palace, mm -hmm. we used to be a bit of reverence approaching there too, because at one time it was what they jokingly called the lumber yard, where they made all the, the key images, carved them for, for temples of human sacrifice. So even, even knowing what those places are, they're still approached with a lot of reverence and respect. Yeah. And sometimes people say, why, why you go stand at the corner of Mer Merchant and Alakia and why are you chanting to the the first wine bank building, I said, because it's sitting on a, a local, you know, opening. so physically you have this modern day edifice, what's there did not go away. It's still there. Yeah. But I guess long story short for me, big thing is announcing your intentions, who you are. Some instances you have to go back a couple generations to your genealogy. And then also saying when this part of it is over, you know, what you're going to do when you leave. Oh, wow. Yeah. So approaching the place with a plan. Yes. Yes. That's why a lot of developers get in trouble because they build anyway. And then guys on the job die, get into accidents. Right. Right. So I've heard instances where uh, Kupuna comes and tells the developer, the reason why that rock keeps coming back is because you didn't ask its permission. It's just a rock. You're like, to you, it's a rock. But if you don't want to ask permission mm -hmm. from, from that Oahu, more of these guys will get hurt. People will die. Wow. In a lot of instances, the developer from the continent has to go over there and say, well, I'm so-and-so Texas, we immigrated from so-and-so. Then the project goes through. Wow. And you've, you've experienced these types of things happening or, or seen or yeah. heard? I mean, I've been there when it's happened. I have uh, connections for uh, big boss people in uh, construction. 
who send me photographs and videos. And I'm like, don't send those to me. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's simple. And I guess that's the other thing about people from the continent. We want them to know is it may seem like nothing to you, but in Hawaii, asking permission is very, very important. Wow. That's thank you so much for sharing that. And also thank you so much for, for being a conduit, sort of that go between, between not only the spiritual realm and in our ancestors, but also those who are in the present, AKA in the, in the example that you gave the construction workers who don't understand intention, who don't understand asking permission and gratitude, right? Well, I'll I'll end with saying when my, one of my tours meets downtown, we meet in front of the Kamehameha statue. Mm. And you don't realize how many visitors, even though the science says don't walk on the grass, walk on the grass. I'm right there and I'm like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Come here, come here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but, you know, I didn't see the sign. It's like, yes, you did. I saw you read the sign. You looked at the okay. sign. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's, that's the, otherwise I'm a really mellow guy. I think I'm cool. But, you know, for that one thing, I'm a hard ass. You got to be. You got to be. Anybody walk on the grass through the Kamehameha's statue. Or else your ancestors, your mom will come and flick your ear. You can do it. Right? I'll get some sort of strange rash. Right. <laughs> and you'll be like, oh, man, I know this is from. <laughs> <laughs> so, Cosmo Dave, I'll shift over to you, kind of stay, keeping oh, along with the spiritual sort of aspect of things. Are there any authors or storytellers or even ancestors from the past who have particularly influenced your work? And so who were they and how did they influence your work? Actually, the, the person that influenced my, my work is actually my grandma <laughs> on my, on my dad's side. And not only my grandma, but the entire family, my aunties and my dad. When we used to have parties at our house, uh, they used to meet inside the parlor, and all of these old folks just to get together. And I'm hiding in the back of the couch and listening to the stories that they're telling, and they're fascinating. And they're speaking Hawaiian, but I'm picking up different things here and there. But then, if I don't understand something, when when the party's over, I go and I ask my dad to say, "Well." What are you folks talking about this big pugie or incident that happened with the family? Like my, my grandparents were transplants from the island of Maui to Molokai. And so when they came to Molokai, there was a lot of spirit activity happening inside the community. The lapu-lapu koloe, lapu-lapu koloe that was making people go kind of crazy and haunting things, moving things around and causing problems with people. The place was a desert, was was dry. So these people had to be really call upon the ancestors to come. And that's what they did. And those are the stories that my, my grandparents and my parents were talking about. Who were those individuals that called down the rain for a whole? How did they do it? And so forth. It was the entire family getting together and trusting in their faith and in the, in God that what the rain would come. And one day after fasting for several days, the cloud came, started off as a small little cloud and started growing, growing until it filled up the, the sky. 
filled up the horizon from a white clouded turning gray. And then the rain came. Wow. And so that's, that's the kind of stories that they were telling about. And for me sitting in this thing, it says, oh, my family, they're, they're spooky. <laughs> but they have the faith and those in the ancestors that what they want or what they need will be provided. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's basically where I, I got the love for listening to people telling stories, oral traditions. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that story in particular. And I know you said that you were like, oh, my family's a little spooky. But I also hear from this story that your family is spiritually and divinely impacted and in, in carrying that on, which is so powerful. And it's a part of our uh, human experience, I think, that isn't touched on enough in the current society that we live in as a whole, right? The Hawaiian tradition and culture and spirituality is continuing to keep that alive. So I have one last question for the three of you all. This hour has gone actually really, really fast. And I feel like I can, I can talk more and we could dig so much deeper. But for those who are watching, who are aspiring to be Native Hawaiian authors, or authors, period, what, and, and very quickly, what advice would you give to them? I'll start with Lapaka for this one. Uh, just write. Just mm -hmm. write. Make mistakes all you want. Just write. And... Be true to yourself. Yeah. Worry about the editing and all that stuff later. But just, just write the story. Whatever's filtering through, just write it. Let it out. Absolutely. And I have, I have something I, I want to want to share with Paki. Uh, a couple of my stories have been adapted for film, and one of them, short story, is about a Vietnam veteran who falls asleep one night on his couch, drinking whiskey and reminiscing of his war buddies. And then he wakes up because he hears somebody calling his name. And so he goes outside, he lives near the beach and it's, it's all of his war buddies from Vietnam. And as they go walking down the beach, there's a long line of night marchers. And so basically the procession has come to take him, but the guy who's come to get him, his war buddy says, command sent me to go, go get you. And I wanted to repay the favor because I, I died in your arms. And so the vet veteran says, am I going to heaven? And his, his war buddy says, no, you're going to Kanehunamoku, the land of our ancestors. And so, Aki, this is for you because you're in the mainland. The last thing the war buddy says to this veteran is, And so what that means is, no matter where a Hawaiian goes, there too is Hawaii. So, where you stay mainland, bro? Because here is where you. Paki, we'll shift the mic over to you with that beautiful message that Lopaka just shared with you. What what advice would you give to up and coming Native Hawaiian writers or writers? Period. Uh, there's nothing more that can be said to what Lopaka said. Just write. Just write. Don't be scared. Just write. If if whatever you write comes out beautiful, you released it too late. Just right. And Lopaka, Mahalo. My dad is a Vietnam vet and he yeah. is in his final days and he, he's got dementia and he's here with us and, and your, your story touches 
parts of my na'au that, that are just beautiful. So mahalo. Bucky, give me your email address. So I'll send you the link to the, the film. Beautiful. That's incredible. I love the connections being made here. And Kahu Day, we're going to end with you. What advice would you give to upcoming Native Hawaiian writers and other writers? A lot of people don't attempt to write because they're afraid of offending other people. Especially some of these cultural practitioners who are the police, <laughs> right? And you say something or you do something and they shoot something at you and stuff. And it's easy to stop writing and, and uh, letting these people affect you that way. But by stop and not writing because you're afraid that you're going to offend other people, it's keeping a beautiful gift from being released to the world and a beautiful story. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that wisdom. And thank you, Elisa, in the comments. Uh, thank you for advocating with uh, our panelists and praying with us as well. Uh, with that being said, we're going to wrap up our wonderful panel. Thank you so much, Paki Lopaka and Kahu, for joining us, for sharing your wisdom and experiences uh, about writing, about storytelling, and about the preservation of Native Hawaiian culture. Uh, with that being said, one more round robin. Let's let the audience know how we can stay in touch with you and what upcoming work you have. Um, Cosmo Dave, we'll start with you. How can, can we reach you on social media, Kindle novellas? Yeah, on, uh, you can reach me, Cosmo Dave, on Facebook. That's, that's where I'm at most of the time. And for Kindle Vela, you can look under David J. Wallace. That's, that's my name. And I do have other books. DJ Wallace is another author name I use. So just look on Amazon. I, I have my books up there. Awesome. Thanks so much. Lopaka, how can we stay in touch with you and what do you have coming up next? Instagram, Mysteries of Hawaii. What's not coming up next? There's a lot. <laughs> and then on, on Amazon, Hawaiian oh. Night Archers. History of the Huaka'ipo. It's a cultural and documented history of uh, night marchers from, from uh, Kumulipo until last week at Uncle Ed's house in Moanalua Valley. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And you're on Instagram, right? Lepaka? Mr. Zavoy, Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. And Paki, we'll wrap up with you. Uh, Where can we find you at and what's some upcoming projects you have? Uh, we've got our Aloha book coming and our Ohana book coming out. I actually personally have a business book that's coming out, um, the Cyber Energy Nexus, the convergence of cybersecurity and energy in the world. So again, that's that's the hat that I normally wear is the business side. And then just, I'm not a social media guy. So we've got our website, Perks Publishing, perkspublishing.com. And then we also have PuckyPerkins.com and AJPerkins.com. Those are my business hat and the Hawaiian side. So mahalo. Awesome. Mahalo. Well, mahalo to all three of you. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your positive energy and connection to the culture. We really appreciate you. 